Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 63, a conversation with Elise Resch, co-creator of Intuitive Eating. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Because when you're on a diet, you're following external uh, messages. Eat this, don't eat that, eat at this time, eat this amount. When you're eating intuitively, you're listening to what your body is telling you. Hello, hello, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. I'm back. And today I have an interview. If you missed the interviews, we will have a couple in this month. So I hope that you enjoy them. Before I talk more about my interview and give Elise an introduction, I wanted to remind you that my book is available for pre-order. So you can definitely find it online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you want to be on my mailing list so that you can learn all about all of my happenings, you can sign up on my website, dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. You can go to the homepage or you can do dryami.com forward slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P. Another thing you could do is text the word fiber, fiber, like my favorite F word, F-I-B-E-R to 66866, and then you'll get instructions on how to sign up. So this is my dream come true. Last week, I talked to you guys about intuitive eating and gave you a basic little summary foundation about intuitive eating, talked to you guys about Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, their 10 principles and what it is and summed it up for you. So I hope that was helpful. I hope that some of you ordered that book so that you can learn more about it. This week, I have a special treat. I present to you an interview that I had with Elise on intuitive eating. And I think that this is really good. We had such a great conversation. She is such a fantastic person. It was such an easy conversation that we had. And I I really help, I really hope that it will be helpful to you. And there's lots of things that I took out from this conversation, but I think the most important thing is authentic pleasure and the importance of having pleasure and satisfaction in our eating. So I hope that you will really um, get something out of this, but first let me tell you more about Elise. 
So Elise Resch is a nutrition therapist in private practice in Beverly Hills, California. Super fancy. She has over 37 years of experience specializing in eating disorders, intuitive eating, and health at every size. She is the author of the Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens, the co-author of Intuitive Eating and the Intuitive Eating Workbook, a chapter contributor to the Handbook of Positive Body Image and Embodiment, and has published journal articles, print articles, and blog posts. She also does regular speaking engagements, podcasts, and extensive media interviews. Her work has been profiled on CNN, KABC, NBC, KTTV, AP Press, KFI Radio, USA Today, and the Huffington Post, among others. She is nationally known for her work in helping patients break free from the diet mentality through the intuitive eating process. Her philosophy embraces the goal of developing body positivity and reconnecting with one's internal wisdom about eating. She supervises and trains health professionals, is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, a fellow of the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, and a fellow of the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So that is Elise, and really she's one of my heroes. After I read this book, I really feel like it changed my life. You know, it's been, it's one of those evolutions where you just take steps towards progress, making changes in your life, but I really feel like this was a really foundational book. So meeting her and talking to her was really a dream come true to me. And I really hope that you enjoy this interview. So here we go, a conversation with Elise Resch. I am so pleased and so excited to be here with Elise Resch. She is a nutrition therapist and she's one of my heroes. Elise, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. So I just love your story and I wanna go back, go back to the 80s when you first started working as a nutrition therapist and you were already feeling uncomfortable with the whole weight loss industry, the, the push to help, you know, or to promote weight loss in patients and clients. And you kind of didn't want to do that, but you realized that it was almost impossible to do the work that you did without doing that. So tell me what that was like and why did you have that struggle? Okay, so my training was uh, at a clinic affiliated with Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Uh, it was called the Center for Child Development and Developmental Disabilities. And that was the work I wanted to do. I was chosen to be in this traineeship. It was wonderful. It was a whole year. It was a multidisciplinary approach to treatment. And I thought, oh, if I can do this work, I can really help people. So the whole idea of weight loss just didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. It didn't have that deep value, that deep meaning. And I was not going to do it. I refused. But, you know, unfortunately, every time the medical model at that time was all about, and maybe at this time in some ways too, all about health is connected with weight, which is not the case. And um, so I was referred people for, oh, high cholesterol and high blood pressure and high blood sugar. And it was always help them lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't want to do it. And yet, brand new in my practice. And I thought, okay, I'll do a little of it. But it didn't feel right to me. And I didn't want to do it. And in graduate school, 
we weren't taught to put people on diets. We were taught to give them meal plans with um, exchanges, the diabetic exchanges, so many servings of this and so many servings of that. That's really a diet. Yeah. And um, we were taught to weigh them. I mean, it's just amazing to me. This is 37 years ago that things that I operated that way, but I didn't know anything better than to do that. But it just wasn't right. I mean, people would go out and do everything that I told them and they'd lose weight and I'd, they'd come back and they'd gained it back and I was lost. I didn't know what to do with it. And fortunately, at that point, some of the non-diet literature, the psychology behind that was starting to come out. And I. And then after that is whenever you ran into Evelyn. And do you pronounce her name as Tribble or Triboli? Triboli. 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 Uh-huh. That's cute. So you ran into her and both of you guys at the same time were like, we want to write a book about this. We're going to match up together. And then what happened after that? Well, we literally almost ran into each other. She was, um, she lives in uh, about an hour away and had a practice an hour away. But one day a week, she was coming into Los Angeles and uh, was in my office one day a week. And we were walking down the hall toward each other one day. And I looked at her and she looked a little dismayed. And I said, Evelyn, what's going on? And she said, oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm writing this book with a psychologist and she doesn't know how to write. And I had been writing this book, you know, similarly. And I just knew that was a moment of being kind of thing where I just knew that this was the time to jump in. And I said, Evelyn, I'll write it with you. And when we started collaborating, we realized we had so many similar ideas. So well, that's really that's how perfect. it began. Yeah, I think it was almost like divine intervention that both of you guys almost ran into the hall. That's, that's right. So you came up with this term, intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you came up with the term and what it means. Okay. Uh, those are two very good questions. We were tossing around a number of ideas of what to call it. And just one day I said, this is about what our uh, knowledge is inside. It's got, it's intuitive. It's just what we know in our gut. And when you think about gut, I mean, we're eating and it just sounded right. And so that's how the term you know, was uh, applied to what we were doing. What it means though, I think over time has really evolved. And uh, a very interesting story, when uh, Evelyn and I were writing the third edition, um, which came out in 2012, we're now about to go into the fourth edition, I was giving a talk at a, I, I'm sorry, I was attending a conference and there was a gentleman who was giving a talk on intuitive eating. And I had contacted him when I saw he was giving this talk and said, oh, this is so great. You're doing this talk. I'm one of the co-authors. And he said, great, come to the talk. It's going to be a great talk. Well, to make a long story short, he actually bashed intuitive eating. Um, I went to the room. It was standing room only. He invited me in. He said, oh, we have one of the esteemed authors of intuitive eating here. And then he basically said intuitive eating can't work because he looked up the definition of intuition in the dictionary and it said instinct. And then he said, studies show we can't go by instinct alone. And the, the synchronicity of that was that Evelyn and I were in the midst of writing this book and I called her and told her about it and I said, we really have to define what intuitive eating is because it's not simply about instinct. The instinct comes from that um, reptilian part of our brain, the, that part that the dinosaurs had, which is the instinct to survive. 
but we're not dinosaurs. We've evolved. And when we evolved into mammals, we got another part of brain functioning, which is called the mammalian or the limbic part of the brain. And that's the center of, um, or the seat of uh, emotion and social behaviors. We humans have that too. However, cats and dogs and other animals, they may be able to feel, but they can't articulate what they're thinking. Uh, or if they're thinking, <laughs> they just don't have that cognitive part. So when we evolved into humans, we got the neocortex, the third level of brain functioning, which is the cognitive part. So intuitive eating is a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. We have the instinct to survive, usually by being hungry, and that instinct also tells us about fullness and taste preference. However, emotions can alter those instincts. If we're highly anxious, we shut down our hunger. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't eat just because we don't feel hungry. Or if we have a cold and food doesn't taste good, it doesn't mean we shouldn't eat. So that's where we uh, employ the cognitive part of the brain to come in and help us monitor, sometimes interfere with emotions, or sometimes uh, you know, just help us alter our decisions about whether to eat or not, because we use that, that very logical part of the brain to say, hey, you know, you're not hungry because you're not, you know, you're not tasting it or you're anxious, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat. So in, in other words, intuitive eating is not just instinct, because instinct can be interfered with by other things in life. Yeah, oh, that's a, yeah, that's such a beautiful explanation. And with that limbic system too, which I'm sure that you work with clients on that too, is that that can alter how you feel towards food because we form habits, we form emotional eating habits and those kinds of things too. And we can use that higher part of our brain to understand that and to relearn this more gentle way of approaching food and approaching our hunger and satiety. So I love, I love that explanation. Thank you. So um, whenever you guys were, wrote the book and developed the system, mm -hmm. you came up with 10 principles, mm -hmm. correct? And correct. then did you guys start applying it right after that? Or were you kind of applying it before then? How did all of the principles come together? Well, I think we were, each of us was applying it in our, practically in our work. And when we sat down and thought about it, we realized that all these 10 specific, um, you know, foci, 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 uh, things that we focus on um, needed to be part of the intuitive eating principles. So it was about hunger. It was about fullness. It was about satisfaction, which at some point, maybe today I can talk more about that. There were so many parts of it that had to do with how we eat, why we eat, what, you know, what we get out of eating, whether it's taste satisfaction, whether it's emotional satisfaction. So yes, we were using those things and then we had to crystallize it and put it into actually 10 principles and often when you're writing a book your uh, publishers editors want you to have things in numbers there's covey seven um oh what's the, what was his seven name habits of his book? yeah seven habits of exactly or yeah, ten this or right yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so it just seemed to be uh i think it was suggested that we put it into 10 and we were able to break it down into 10 principles yeah, and I think it works really nicely. And I think it it really helps us understand the difference because especially in the 80s, diet culture was very strong. We still have a very strong diet culture, fad diets, 
prescription diets that people get on and trying to learn how to step away from that into a more intuitive way of eating, you do need kind of a set of directions of like, okay, how do I do this? How do I unattach these decades for some people of rules around food and tune back into my body? Well, right. And, you know, one of the problems that comes up is people who are so connected to diet culture will often try to take the intuitive eating principles and turn them into 10 rules, Yes, uh, which is not what they are at all. They're simply guidelines, some to, something to di direct your thinking, direct your feelings, and you know, help you have a better relationship with food. But they are not rules, and I wanna make that very clear. Yes, and that leads me into my next question. So I have a Google alert on intuitive eating as a topic, and it is really popular right now. There's articles coming out every week from around the world on the topic. So why do you think it's becoming so popular, and what are the common misconceptions or misinterpretations? Okay, again, two wonderful questions. Um, I think people are really sick of feeling bad about themselves when they go on diets and they fail. I think from a feminist standpoint, I think we are coming to understand that we have to be more than our body size. And uh, I think we're very aware of um, all of the stigmas that we're dealing with in our life, every one of the isms, and one of them is you know, weight stigma. And the health at every size movement is very strong right now, which is starting to understand that, again, our weight does not determine our health and it does not determine who we are. And I think um, somehow, you know, it gets out there. It's been out there for a while. I once did an interview for um, <laughs> Oprah's magazine many years ago. Unfortunately, she's connected with Weight Watchers now. Uh, so it's, it's been out there in many places, but suddenly now, I think just it's one is piggybacking on the other. I'm going to be doing an interview for Vogue magazine next week. So, um, so that was the first part of your question. I don't know for sure, but those are some of my hunches as to why it's becoming more popular. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. Um, women are becoming more aware of their strength. Not that it's just starting now. I mean, I went through the first first wave of, I'm mean, the second wave of feminism, sorry. And uh, this is back in the 70s when women started to realize that we could have a voice and we could hold a job and we could support ourselves and even have children on our own if we needed to. But it's, it's I mean, at that point in time, um, you know, we wouldn't have had four candidates for the, you know, Democratic nomination for president. So we are more than our bodies. And then the second question you had was, what are the misconceptions about intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. Lots of them. Um, I think one of the most prevalent ones is intuitive eating just means eat whatever you want, whenever you want, without even thinking about anything else, but just and eat, 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 and you'll probably could eat pizza all day long and, you know, and milkshakes all day long and not care. But that is not what intuitive eating is. It, intuitive eating is really about tuning in to how your body feels and what your body needs. And um, yes, you want to make all foods emotionally equivalent so that your reaction to whatever you choose to eat is going to be emotionally the same, taking morality out of it. You don't feel good or bad about yourself by the choices that you make. At the same time, you want to listen to how your body feels, how food is satisfying to you, how food is nourishing for you. And um, 
So you want to not be so reductionist by just saying, eat whatever you want, whenever, without a connection to your physical needs and, and feelings. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Another one is that intuitive eating is all about losing weight. <laughs> you know, just another, another way, if you just eat what you want when you're hungry and full, you'll be able to achieve that weight loss that you weren't able to achieve on other diets. But intuitive eating is completely disconnected from weight loss. This is not what it's about. Um, so I would say those are two of the biggest misconceptions. Yeah, and I think that's what I see over and over in the articles coming out, unfortunately, is that it's usually the headline is something like a new weight loss method. Is this the best way to permanently lose weight? You know, so I think that that's the most common thing I see is that people are using this as another set of rules, just like you were talking about before, to try to lose weight. So my next question is, mm -hmm. is it possible to be on a diet and practice intuitive eating at the same time? No, it's completely incompatible. Because when you're on a diet, you're following external uh, messages. Eat this, don't eat that, eat at this time, eat this amount. When you're eating intuitively, you're listening to what your body is telling you. So they're completely incompatible. And if someone is focusing on trying to lose weight while they're trying to you know, engage in intuitive eating, it's gonna sabotage the whole process. Mm -hmm. because they, their bodies might tell them they want to eat a particular food and then their mind says, but if I want to lose weight, that's not going to help me lose weight. And so it really cannot uh, coexist. Yeah, it's like two internal parts just fighting against each other constantly. Yes. Yes, it's, I've been there, done that. So I've experienced <laughs> that before, so I know it doesn't work. So how do we begin to break free from the diet mentality? What's one of the first things that people can do to get away from this cycle of dieting over and over and over again? Well, I think, unfortunately, the best way to look at it is that diets just don't work. So to engage in a behavior that for sure is going to fail, uh, you have to really think about, do I want to keep doing something that, that doesn't work? Mm -hmm. uh, in any realm of life, if you just keep doing the same thing over and over and it doesn't work, you have to start questioning that. So mm -hmm. I would say that's the first way. It's the most simple way, I would say, to, um, to say to yourself, why am I doing this? Why do I keep doing it? I think the second piece of it is to really start questioning your values, your value system, and asking yourself why you're making it so important that your body has to be smaller. What, what is that, uh, uh, you know, what's lacking inside that puts you into that realm of thinking you're only going to be okay if you're, you know, fitting with what our culturally thin ideal tells us to be. So it's getting angry and it's, and it's um, saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. Exactly. So number one, just acknowledging that diets don't work despite what we believe and what we see, they usually do not work most of the time. And all of the time, I mean, 95% of the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then number two is just really looking inside and really connecting with what is that desire that you really want to have? Is it truly weight loss? Because also I think some people think that once they lose weight or once they get to a certain size or body shape, that they're just going to be happy forever. And the truth is 
is that that's not the road to happiness. Some people get to that size and they're still not happy. So really it's kind of saying what, what is it that I really want? Is it really that I want to be a certain size and why, why do I want to be that? I think that those are super, super important. Questions. Yes. And how can I accomplish what I really want in life, regardless of size? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's that I want to feel better, well, start moving one's body. Look at how food feels when you're eating it. Uh, if you want to have um, better relationships in life, start engaging in, you know, in social behaviors, start learning, start traveling, start learning about so many other things so that you can have better relationships in life, whether they're friendships or romantic. I mean, people seem to think that they're not going to get any of these things until they're a certain size. But the truth is you want to do it, you know, turn that around and start doing the things that you really want. Exactly. Now. Exactly. 100%. I love that advice. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So you alluded to this earlier and I already had this as a question because I okay. think it's so important. And that is the significance of pleasure. Yes. Faction. Yes. Tell me yes. about that. Well, it was so interesting. Back to writing the third edition back in 2011. <clears throat> One day it hit me. Wow. I think that the driving force of intuitive eating is actually satisfaction. And in fact, if I were to turn the principles around now, which I did in my teen book, which you can talk about later, I would go right for satisfaction, which is what I do uh, when I'm counseling someone. Rather than saying, pay attention to when you're hungry and pay attention to when you're full, I say, pay attention to what's most satisfying for you in terms of taste preference, but also uh, what's satisfying to you in terms of hunger and fullness. Because if you're starting to eat a meal when you're not hungry, it's not going to be as satisfying. And if you continue to eat when you're you know, already full, the food just doesn't taste as good. So if you approach intuitive eating through a framework of satisfaction, it's actually going to help you to get to those other two principles. Um, and it also, it actually informs all of the principles. I mean, when you think about emotional eating, most of the time when people are eating emotionally, they're not present. They're not tasting the food. They're trying to either comfort themselves or push themselves away from feelings. 
and the food really isn't satisfying. So helping people understand that finding other coping me mechanisms for their emotions, excuse me, um, is really actually going to help them have more satisfaction in eating. And for the most part, which are my four favorite words, by the way, and I've used that in a couple of the books, uh, for the most part, people are excited when I say to them, would you like to have more satisfaction and pleasure in your eating? It's usually just my clients who have anorexia who are having a hard time giving themselves any form of pleasure in their lives. Um, but for most other people, especially people who have been dieting for a long time, uh, that, that pleasure factor, that satisfaction factor is so exciting and it changes everything. Yes. It's so important. And one of the studies that I read while I was preparing my book mm -hmm. showed that the more health conscious a person is, the less satisfaction they derive from their food. And 100%. I, it has to do with all of these rules that we have. And I know because I've been in some of these communities, I've been in some of these groups where the goal is to make your food as bland and as uninteresting and as unexciting as possible. And I experienced myself overeating like crazy because I just could not get pleasure out of my food. My brain was trying to get pleasure and I couldn't. And so I would just eat, 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 trying to chase that pleasure. And then once I really just surrendered and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be about weight. This is not going to be about any of these rules. I am just going to eat what tastes good and feels good in my body. It is amazing. The difference. It is just like night and day, how it can taste so good. And you can, you can stop when you're satisfied. It doesn't have to be like this huge amount um, that sometimes we get used to on certain diets because there's not much pleasure and satisfaction. And I want to add something to that. I think when people are worrying all the time about eating the healthiest of foods, what's happening is their stress levels are going up, their cortisol levels are going up, and then their ability to taste really goes down mm -hmm. because you're in that kind of adrenaline you know, pushed uh, mode. So uh, also in terms of health, not so healthy to have high cortisol levels. And so if you're worrying all the time about, you know, whether what you're eating is healthy or not, which is not to say that we don't want to have an overall view of nourishing ourselves, but it's that worry, it's that orthorexic, um, everything has to be perfectly healthy. That's a problem. Yeah. It's so counterintuitive because you think that if you allow yourself to eat what's pleasurable, you're just going to end up eating like Cheetos and cupcakes all the time. And it's just, not true because going back to what you say at, said at the beginning of the interview, you also start tuning into how it feels in your body. And whenever you give yourself permission to eat anything and you neutralize all foods, like everything is the same, then you actually start seeing foods, not just for their pleasure, but also how they make you feel. And so the combination of those two things really helps guide you in a joyful and health promoting direction. It's very counterintuitive. I mean, it really, you know, when you think about it, people think that there's no way that's going to work. I'm just going to eat Cheetos all day. And, but it's just not true because you have to allow yourself to go into that space. That's much different from the whole dieting and rulesy way well, of food. Yes. And there's this other very important um, psychological piece, which is habituation. Mm -hmm. So habituation basically means the greater the stimulus, the lesser the response. So when you truly make peace with all foods, the emotional equivalency that we're talking about, 
and you actually taste them, the more you have of it, the less you want it. It's only in a diet mentality where you don't think you're going to get it again, so you better just keep eating it, or, or I'll be good in a week, you know, that language. Uh, if you haven't made full peace with food, you can't get to a habituation mm -hmm. because there's still that forbidden quality of it. But the truth is, I mean, really, I was, I was in Italy last fall, and I love pasta, and I was having it every day, and, you know, by the end of the trip, I was thinking about other foods, <laughs> so... That's a big piece of that too. I love that. That's awesome. So when people delve into this way of eating and they try out intuitive eating and they decide it doesn't work for them, what are the main reasons that people <laughs> may veer away from it? Yeah, people say to me, you know, intuitive eating, just it's just not working. I'm gaining weight or some, they'll say something like that. And I have to help them see that they're actually not eating intuitively, that what intuitive eating is, is really tuning into their bodies. And I think they're, they've been so deprived for so long that there's a need to eat more of, more often these foods that they weren't allowing themselves to have. And that is a part of the process, but it's not actually intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And so I have to help them disabuse this, themselves of the thought that intuitive eating doesn't work. And come to understand that, no, this is not intuitive eating. And so I think that's a key to it. And I think the, um, you know, what I'd said earlier, it's just this idea of just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. If they're not paying attention to their body cues, if they're not paying attention to the satisfaction, they're going to say intuitive eating doesn't work, but they're not really eating intuitively. Yeah. And it does require time and patience. Definitely. This is yes. not an overnight sort of thing, especially for people that have been dieting a long time. It's not an overnight thing. And so going into it, knowing that it's going to take patience. And at the beginning, when people are used to dieting, they're going to itch to go back to a diet. I mean, it's just like this strong urge that you have to breathe through and you have to work through and you have to allow, and then eventually you get there, but it does take time. So, well, yeah, there's this lack of trust in themselves and that's what has to be uh developed it's a trust that um babies are all born with but they're you know often unfortunately pulled away from it by over controlling parenting but that's another topic well that's the next question actually oh. like, oh, we're like in tune here yes it's perfect so, does learning the concepts of intuitive eating help families is it good for parents to learn these concepts i think it's imperative if they want to help their children uh you know either continue or redevelop a, a trust in themselves and and uh, a healthy relationship with food in the fourth edition uh, i have added a, a piece called baby led weaning or baby led solids which is really intuitive eating for babies mm -hmm. um, giving that child the opportunity to grab at whatever food looks good without trying to force feeding force feeding the child what the parent or the pediatrician i know you're a pediatrician um, thinks is the right time and the right place for it. Uh, so if the whole family is engaged in sitting together at the table and having a wide variety of foods and that smallest of children going through all ages of, of uh, childhood is able to uh, watch their parents eat 
what what they feel like eating and and be present while they're eating you know no devices at the table no tv on they're just sitting there and enjoying each other and enjoying the food then um it's going to have a wonderful outcome so yes it's very important for the whole family and i think it also really supports parents because it gives them the permission to let go of this need to force feed their kids all the time. That's really stressful. Like parents coming in, that's one of the things that they want to talk about the most is I just can't get them to eat. I just can't get them to eat. Well, why are you, what, why you don't have to. And so I think whenever I give parents permission, you do not have to force feed your child, please let them follow their intuition of when they're hungry and when they're satisfied. And, you know, we talk about a few other things, of course, but it's almost like the parents, you can see them like, <sighs> okay. But they kind of don't believe me either. You know, they're kind of like, are you sure? Like my, my kid's not going to like waste away, you know? So it, it is one of those things that I think has been really ingrained in the parents is like, you have to force your kid to eat more than they want to for their growth and development. Well, and what needs to be looked at also is the more you push a child who is, uh, I would say, past 18 months old, where they're in the developmental stage of autonomy, <laughs> needing to establish that they're their own person, the more you push that child, that child's going to rebel because that's a happy, healthy reaction, I should say, to, to being pushed. So if they're worried about their child getting enough nutrition, what's going to happen is the opposite's going to happen. You know, the food fights are going to start. Exactly. So you end up creating the opposite result that you both in forcing your child to eat or restricting your child food. That's right. And it's totally, again, counterintuitive to what parents think is going to happen, but that's what happens. And the studies confirm that. So yeah, that's great. And I'm so excited to read about that, that new section in your book, Uh but let's talk about teenagers. So you have this lovely book here. So the intuitive eating workbook for teens. It's beautiful. And I love the picture in the front. I just think this is such a great workbook. So tell me more about this workbook and why this population is so important to focus on when teaching the concepts of intuitive eating. Well, I think that in those teen years, when teens feel they have no control of their lives, when they're they're so worried about growing up when there's so much angst going on in teen years, they're grabbing onto something to feel a sense of control in the world and to be able to help them understand that when, if they're going to try to control their food, if they're going to diet, if they're going to focus on being thinner, um, they're only setting themselves up for sadness and, and failure and, not able to really learn how to deal with the feelings that they're actually going through. So my hope in writing this book was to catch, uh, catch it in the bud, you know, before, before kids end up with severe eating disorders, if they can look at, do some of these exercises, look at the, the principles of intuitive eating from a teen standpoint, or even, I mean, it can work with a 12 year old or an 11 year old, you know, someone who, um, is able to to really think about it, we can stop eating disorders. Mm -hmm. The problem is, and I was going to say this a moment ago, is that if parents are still dieting, if parents are still focused on feeling bad about their weight, talking about their stomachs or whatever, um, 
it's going to be very hard for a child or a teenager to be able to become intuitive for themselves because they're being bombarded with this noise. So I really like to work with parents also, uh, or even before I might, or instead of working with a child or a teenager to help them change their relationship with food. Yes, that is so important. And I think, you know, we're both moms and working with parents. I mean, we already have enough guilt, right? But the truth is it's a win-win situation whenever we as mothers let go of the dieting. It's good for us and it helps our children because it stops that cycle. I know that I learned how to diet from generations before me and it, it does, it gets passed on. And the studies show that too, that whenever moms are dieting, their teens, usually it predicts that their teens are going to diet for a variety of different reasons. And so, yeah, that's, I love that you said that. So thank you so much for bringing up that point. And I want to say too, just going back to your workbook, I went through it and I, I just love the way you wrote it because it is very relatable. It's written at a level that it's not intimidating. It doesn't feel like overly like sciencey, but it does have the concepts and the, you know, the key principles in there to really help teens. And I mean, I think I could go through this workbook and use it myself too. I don't think that I'm too old for it because, you know, teen at heart, <laughs> right? So, so I, I really am so glad that you wrote this and that we got to talk together because I got it and then I can start using it with my patients as well for those well, that come in that they're already dieting. And when you mentioned relatable, um, if you notice, as I mentioned earlier, I turned the principles around. I didn't put them in the order that they're in the intuitive, intuitive eating book because I really wanted to direct the teenagers to a different way, a different approach. I also changed the names of the chapters. I mean, they relate to each principle, but something that would relate mm -hmm. to a teen. Uh, the emotional eating chapter is called "Is friend is food your frenemy," mm -hmm. and they're so aware of having friends that one day are good friends and one day are enemies to them. And food can be that way for them. So, um, and and your comment about adults, so many of my adult clients are using the book and doing the exercises, and finding that it brings them back to their teen years, as well as what you said. We all have our teen in us. <laughs> The, the teen that lives with us our whole lives, the little kid and the teen that lives with us. So um, I'm so glad you appreciate the book because I, I love it. <laughs> Yay. Well, that, that works out well. So I wanted to ask you a question. I ask all of my podcast guests, mm -hmm. what personal habits are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? So I would think my the habit that I'm most, most proud of is the fact that I move my body most days. As a kid, I felt bad about movement. I thought that I was uncoordinated. I tried to get out of PE. I really didn't actually know that it was an important thing to, to move your body because I was always against it. And it was when I got into college and lived in the dorm and I started seeing other young women who were doing some exercises in the dorm. And I thought, oh, what do you know? And I started moving my body and realized that I felt better. Now, I did go through a period of time when I was in my own eating disorder where I was over-exercising, which was not 
a healthy thing. But that's been well over 35 years ago. And from that point on, I just feel that that's one of the key essentials for health is movement, um, keeping your bones strong, keeping your muscles strong, feeling good, you know, having your endorphins released. And so I feel really good about the fact that I do that. But it's not a discipline. It's really intuitive movement for me. Mm-hmm. If I have a morning, <laughs> I think one of the reasons I've had a, a few little glitches in timing today is I had to be at the dentist today, 15 this morning, and I didn't get to move before that. And I really do think it, it affects everything in my day when I'm, when I'm not moving. So that's one of my, uh, I guess, uh, things that I'm most proud of. I think the other thing is that I've been in therapy for many, many years of my life, and I'm very... Um, Please, that I have this need to learn more and more about psychology, uh, learn more about my own inner world. It really helps me with my clients in understanding them and for them to understand their behaviors. So that's another piece of things. And I'm, my integrity is important to me, my value system. There's a number of things. So I guess I could go on for a while. Oh, that sounds great. What is your favorite way of movement? What is your favorite thing to do? Um, well, <laughs> You're going to laugh. I actually uh, enjoy going on my treadmill and watching TV because TV is one of my ways of completely relaxing and I don't have enough time in my life to watch TV. So I'll get on the treadmill in the morning and I'll watch some wonderful show. And for the moment, I'm transported into somebody else's life. I love, um, I don't know if you've ever seen Call the Med- Midwife. It's a British show I've about, and babies are being born almost every time, and I cry, and it's, it's beautiful. So that's really one of my favorite ways. I also, uh, I really like walking at the beach. I live in Santa Monica, and that's nice, too. I don't get as much time to do that. Oh, that's so cool. No, I think that's a great pairing of habits, though, because you know that TV is one of those things we could get into and be on the couch too long. But pairing it with your exercise, what a great way to do it. You get to do two things that make you feel good. That's awesome. Yes. Yes. Well, real quick, I want to talk about the new edition of Intuitive Eating Book. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. is that coming out? And I know you said you talk about the baby led weaning. What else is new in the new book? Um, well, I would, first of all, it's coming out sometime in 2020. We haven't been given a publication date. We're still in the editing process of it. Um, I, uh, I think that the biggest thrust of the new book is looking at whether there's still any, uh, triggers to weight stigma. Not that we've ever, ever wanted to that to be a part of the book, but this book was written originally in 1994, mm-hmm. before either of us was evolved as we are today. So we have rewritten a lot of the parts of it to, um, to show an appreciation for making sure that we're not in any way uh, instilling any form of weight stigma and understanding that intuitive eating cannot be for everyone. There are people who have food insecurity, people who really don't have the privilege of being able to choose exactly what they want. So we want it to be even more inclusive. And there's the the chapter on science, and there's over 100 studies validating intuitive eating now. And so that chapter has been expanded as well. So every chapter's had a little bit of a, a shift in it. That's awesome. And what a privilege it is to be in the fourth edition, Elise. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you yes. just feel so proud. 
I am. We had uh, realized that we wanted to write this as an, a 25th anniversary edition because it'll be 25 years next year since it was first published. Um, the publishers, however, wanted to call it the fourth edition. So it's the fourth edition. I thought it was kind of a, I don't know, a sexier name to call it the 25th anniversary, but we, you do what your publisher wants you to do. Yeah. But it is, it's really a profound um, experience to know that we've been able to affect so many people for the last 25 years and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And that's so exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for writing that book and putting so much time into it. Well, I wanted to give you a few minutes to talk about what services you offer and any books or products, or maybe even the program that you have for training people that would like to be intuitive eating coaches and how listeners can connect with you. Okay, so personally, I have been in private practice for 37 years. I keep telling myself I'm not going to take any more new clients because I'm really very, very, very busy. And then I get a call or an email from someone that I just know I want to work with. So I find a way somehow to, to fit that person in. So I do private practice. I also supervise uh, professionals. Once a month, I run a supervision group here in LA, and there's a couple of people who come in on Zoom for it, um, whether it's any health professional, whether it's a dietitian or a physician or a nurse or, or psychotherapist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's once a month. I also do individual supervision for health professionals. And then Evelyn and I have a process of certifying um, certified intuitive eating counselors and lay facilitators. So the intuitive eating counselors are people in the health professions or educators um, who then qualify to do individual training or group training uh, in intuitive eating. And then the lay facilitator, facilitator category, which a lot of people don't know about, came from someone who would come to us and say, let's say, for example, a hairstylist who says, I talk to my clients all the time while they're, I'm cutting their hair and I don't believe in diets anymore and I want to teach them about intuitive eating. So we have a category that says that people can train so that they can talk to people about it. They, their scope of practice is completely different than a health professional, so, but uh, we wanted to expand it to that. And um, to find out how to be a certified intuitive eating counselor or lay facilitator, you would get on the intuitive eating website, which is intuitiveeating.org, and there is a link to how to become a counselor there. Uh, to find me, you can find more about me on my own website, which is eliseresch.com. I have lots of lots and lots of things I've written and some of the talks I've given. And I also have a section called Words of Wisdom of all these years of living and working that I want to share with people. Um, and my email address is elisefresh at gmail.com if someone would like to write to me. Awesome. That is so great. And that sounds so inclusive that you have the lay facilitator part because the more people we have out there teaching yes. these concepts at different levels, the better. And after your book comes out, when you guys are promoting the next edition of the book, yes. I would love to have you back on to talk specifically about what you would like to say to health professionals. Yeah. As a health professional myself, there's still so much emphasis on weight loss, especially in the area mm. that I work in because mm -hmm. I'm in lifestyle medicine and you know that's my thing, but there's still so much of a push for weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, when we have so many studies that show 
that even just changing the way you eat without weight loss can cause significant changes in your biomarkers and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to have you back on to talk about I would love to come back. Thank you so much. Well, Elise, this has been so great. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for all the work oh. that you've done. And congratulations on the new edition and on the workbook. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your having me. When you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. Well, what did you think? Did you enjoy that interview? I really hope you did. If you did, please let me know. If you could please subscribe to my podcast, rate, review, and share this episode with somebody that you think would benefit from it. The call to action for this week, tune in to authentic pleasure. How often are you truly enjoying your meals and allowing yourself to savor? each and every bite. Next week, I will be back talking to you about health at every size. I hope that intrigues you. Maybe you already have opinions about it. I hope that you will tune in to listen to my opinion. Maybe tell me what you think about it. Guys, have a wonderful week and I will catch you next week. Have a very plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.